Hello, and welcome to New Polities Podcast. We are very happy to start a new series in which we get to speak about gender. I don't have a great title for it, but as with most of these things, we hope a title is forthcoming. So far, I've got the queerest theorists and then <laughs> the slightly more sober politics of gender. Um, and to my left and your right is Maria Brandel. Maria, who are you? Hello. Uh, I am a fellow at New Polity. Right now, I am co-authoring a book with Andrew Willard-Jones on Catholic social teaching. And I am here to talk about gender because I read Mark's dissertation. Did you know that Andrew Jones has described you as one of his sharpest students? Oh. Uh... That's how he introduced me to you because we, I think, both got into the topic of gender because he said, I've got this student, uh, well, she's no longer a student, she graduated, but she's continuing her interest in sort of Catholic political radicalism and has a book club. And you were reading... Um, Judith Butler. Right. Yeah. So so what happened is that... Uh, and Andrew was like, I don't know anything about Judith Butler. I'll call Mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, when, when COVID hit, my, my uh, honors group from... Uh, school resurrected we wanted to get back together and discuss uh, a book again and at that point I was following new polity and so I was just scrolling looking at all of the footnotes seeing what would be interesting to read and I came across Judith Butler who is a very prominent queer theorist mm -hmm. so I suggested it to my friends uh, told them that we should read gender trouble I don't think that they really knew what it was mm -hmm. sure <laughs> <So> that's uh <laughs> Everyone jumped on board. That's what we read. Um, and it was super fascinating. It was really, really interesting. I, I didn't know what to expect uh, exactly going in. Like, I knew that she was a very um, postmodern thinker. Yeah. I had been really interested in the postmodernists since college. Um, yeah, so I was, I was surprised to find, uh, yeah, a, a, a logic there that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Um, and it was super informative, super helpful. And I... I had known actually that you were working on your dissertation on the topic. So yeah. I reached out to Andrew and then, and then we got connected. And then here we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, um, think that one of the first things you realize when you pick up one of the postmoderns or a queer theorist or, I mean, I think it's unfortunate in some ways because they're framed as, um, just being stupid. Yeah. Because yeah. their conclusions are so often abhorrent. So it's like we don't we don't read the books with them or or sort of see where they're coming from or anything like that. Oh, we no, just like look at our world. You know, men become women, women become men, the the teenagers are all gender queer and I don't know what that means and it's Judith Butler's fault and so Yeah, you just uh take these conclusions and then like you you throw them into just conversations with normal people totally out of their context and it makes no sense mm -hmm. and so the easiest thing to do is to just dismiss the queer theorists dismiss the postmodernists. like right. oh these are these are dumb people but they're really not they're i mean highly intelligent people highly intelligent and mm -hmm. uh, wrong people yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> if um you can be both <laughs> totally all right it's been my conviction well i shouldn't say that it's actually been my deep disappointment that i've never found convicting or good answers to the problems of gender that are raised by like the transgender movement, the queer movement, gender theory, sort of the post-gender, anti-gender, you know, movements and thinkers that 
um, I've largely found the Catholic response to be dissatisfying. Yeah, and that w- that was also my my experience. Um, yeah, when it comes to like the the gender theorists and, and queer theorists, um, not that I had really looked into them in great detail, but I could see from a distance that there was uh, like a disconnect from reality. Yeah. Um, and 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 though there's certainly a logic there, and uh, yeah, there's there's definitely like a, a logic behind it. Once you actually start getting into the postmodernists, um, it just seemed generally inconsistent, and so I. I just wasn't really that interested. I just kind of found it boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when I was looking on like, you know, like the Catholic response and trying to figure out, well, what what is gender? What is femininity? I found that it really wasn't going far enough. Like it would give some like basic explanations, but there was just so much uh, like gray area Yeah. Um, that I was just, I, I just, it just left me dissatisfied, I guess. And then you read my dissertation and everything became clear. Yeah, all all of my questions <laughs> completely <laughs> completely answered. Which if you know, if you've ever read someone's dissertation, that is of course the only experience one has. Is oh, yeah. Immediate and complete clarity on the issue. <laughs> yeah, I now have uh, more questions right, I than when I began. But I, I think that's Sorry. a good thing and, and that's that's what I liked about it. Um yeah. I really think that you're moving in a right direction, uh and opening up um, gender in a way that moves beyond just like grounding it in the merely biological, which I think is um, kind of what the the Catholic response tends to be. It's just like to double down on the biological yeah, and just totally. kind of stay there and stick yeah. there. Let's talk about that. That's I think it'd be worth talking about some of the disappointing responses. And and it should be clear that it's not that I don't think any of them are like way off base or have no truth or some uh, inkling uh, of the truth in them. Um, yeah, like it's, it's compelling because it is, it is grounded in a very like physical and obvious experience. Yeah. Well, maybe I can just describe my encounter with what I would sort of broadly characterize as the, as the conservative response to transgenderism, um, which has been something like this, that, um, you know, gender is a fact that is, I think that was Dave Chappelle that said that recently. And everyone was like, yeah, <laughs> um, that gender is a fact that it is a fact that is uh, established in, in some way that people are usually kind of vague on what, what they mean, but established in our anatomy, in our body, in our biology. Um, now, on the face of it, obviously this is true. Mm-hmm. We are embodied beings yep. and there's no sense in talking about gender uh, if you're not talking about bodies, if you're not talking about, um, you know, the human person, yeah. angels and God, as far as we know, don't have sex. Nobody's. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so on the one hand, like, yeah, okay. That is very sensible. There is a turn to the body. There is a accusation of the transgender movement. That's sort of like you guys are making gender into this like purely, um, it's almost like a spiritual yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a social a construct. Experience. Yeah, it's a psychological sort of nugget or something. But only sometimes, but we won't yeah, get to say that, that yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, it gets confusing. But so the, the you know, I call it the conservative uh, look down approach, which is like just look at your body, look at the genitals, and you will know which being you are, a man or a woman, because a man and a woman is simply defined as 
a being that has this particular uh, genital and anatomical structure. Um, or sometimes they'll go further and say, and they have this particular genetic code. Yeah, which is, which is kind of like a, a very nominalistic way of approaching gender, that gender is just a, a description of my body. But like clearly that's, that's not all that gender is because if, if it just was a, a descriptor word for your body, I don't think anyone would actually be that upset. Mm -hmm. um, it clearly extends beyond that into some kind of, of, of meaning, some kind of role to play, some kind of relationship. Um, yeah, and the, so to just, yeah, to, to just reduce it to like a, a biological description, like we all know that's not what's really happening. And right. so people are, you know, like frustrated because it has to do with, with meaning and identity and those things really can't be reduced to just biology. Well, and in, in one, one way that I would see this is that when, you know, friends who are, you know, identifying as queer, identifying as trans would would hear that sort of response. Um, the responses tend to be a little more nuanced because they would be like, okay, I understand that we have a world in which we describe bodies that look like this and do these things as being men and bodies that look like this and do these things as being women. But what's being questioned is that very ascription of meaning to begin with. So mm -hmm. what, what, sometimes this helps people to think of it this way. Why not just have a human being? And then of human beings, some human beings have this genetic structure, this anatomical structure, mm -hmm. and we can describe that as a reality. Like, look, like, here's, a, here's a particular type of human being that has all these things. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like saying, well, here's someone with red hair. This is just right. a descriptor of, of their body. But how does that actually translate into this role, like like an ought? Like yeah. you ought to act or, this way a, because you have red a, hair. And not just like the gender role, but also just why is it a substantive, like totally all-encompassing meaning? Like mm -hmm. not yeah. you are a human with a womanly body, not you are a human with um, these traits within the process of human reproduction, nothing like that. But you are a woman. It is a particular kind of thing as opposed to man and it's entire to the point that i can say there's a woman and mean a noun a substance a being yeah yeah i mean it, i mean like gender identity i think is a perfect word because it takes on this form of identity in a way that other attributes don't like when i like say i have brown hair like i'm not really talking about identity i don't think no. anyone is talking about that yeah because you're presuming that if you didn't have brown hair you would still be you yeah but the presumption for gender is is otherwise it's that if you weren't a woman you would no longer be you like, yeah i'd be yeah which is what's being contested person. i would mm -hmm. say that there by the um transgender queer movements that it's you would remain you despite these various markers that socially are recognized man and woman um even if these were switched around now when the um when this sort of response is made, this was always troubling to me because what I expected from the Catholic side of things, um, or at least the like more philosophical side of things, would be to, to hear that complaint and then say, okay, so let's talk about how these characteristics are not what make you a man or make you a woman as if I add 
this gene plus this anatomy equals man, mm -hmm. but rather how there's a prior fundamental reality of being a man or being a woman and being gendered or, or sexually differentiated, period, and how these characteristics are in some way the result of this substantial fact, right? That's what I expected because if, if, if the whole problem is, yeah, but it's just this characteristic of me, which is, you know, kind of contingent. Like some people have the genes, but some people don't mm -hmm. have genes like that. Some people have the anatomy, but some people don't have the anatomy. So it's all a little bit contingent. So how can you say it's what makes me a man? It's what makes me a woman. So I'm all ready for the response to be like, oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't make you a man or make you a woman. You are this thing. And so yeah. the characteristics flow from being. I mean, like the things we can describe flow from what things are and yeah. not the other way around. <laughs> but that's not the response that I got at all. I got a doubling down on the, this sort of what appears to me as a backwards order of things, saying um, that, you know, like in its most crude form, like if you have a penis, then you're a man. It's like the, the thing of the, the characteristics are not simply what reveals in some way the mystery of sexual differentiation, but they are what establishes it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and Which that is... troubled me because it just seemed wrong. It seemed like you were saying, okay, we have this human being somehow pre-existing its own sexual differentiation. And if you, if you modify it, then that's a man. Or if you modify it in another way, that's a woman. Yeah. And I, I remember you uh, pointing out at some point that, like when, when you say like, well, because you have this sexual organ, like that makes you a man or a woman. Well, like even when you're saying that sentence, like there's already a meaning that's there with right. man and yeah. woman. Um, so like how how exactly is this this role or relation or identity? Um, how is that connected to to the biology? Because with most of our other biological characteristics, we see them more as Again, like characteristics, not like being fundamentally like who we are. Yeah, one, one way you see this is like um, with genes, right? There's like a female sexual chromosome, male sexual chromosome. And so mm -hmm. we have this idea because we're silly that um, that having the sexual chromosome pattern makes you a man or makes you a woman. And so the conservative response is sort of to take great relief in this and to say, mm -hmm. Okay, despite all this craziness, despite all of these lies and, and ideology, there is something pure here. I can look at a cell and I can see that it's coded in a way that says female or says male. Now, obviously the problem with this is the way that we came to know that there are female versus male sex chromosomes within the hum human body, human person, is uh, by taking women... <laughs> That is to say, beings that we already said. Assuming that the category exists. Yeah, we assume the category exists. Investigating that category mm -hmm. and saying, like, oh, look, here's this, this difference. It must yeah, be, we, it we, must be due we to. We took the people that we already were saying they are a woman. We looked at their genes and we said their genes are like this. And then we said, okay, we have a female sex chromosome. Obviously, I'm vastly simplifying. Mm -hmm. I'm just considering human and not like other animals and such. And then we took the beings that we had already saying, okay, well, these are men. Mm -hmm. So that's test their cells and look they have this sexual chromosome now yeah. 
Well, I mean, it, but it, it's not that that's a, absurd. Like, it, like yeah. I, I, I mean, like we, I mean, these these categories are 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 real, so mm-hmm. it's natural to go about investigating things like that. But to uh, assume like that's what we did to figure out what men and women are, like we 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 already knew that there was these categories before we were looking at. Totally, genes. and so it's no answer to the person who's questioning gender because they're saying like, well, why did you choose those? beings to look at in order to establish this as a normal thing rather than some other grouping of beings. And so this is why within the conservative sort of argument, intersex conditions are really troublesome because once you establish uh, genes or, or you know sexual chromosomes as having what, I'm, I'm not trying to be too complicated here, but I think what, what we're often doing is we're making them like material platonic forms so what yeah. we're saying is like, well, this is the thing um, that is essentially like the spiritual component. And yeah. from it, from this sexual chromosome, which we're really kind of treating as like a soul or something like that, um, flows the all the material difference and all the material reality. And so if I can find this form, if I can find this thing, um, then I have whatever variations might have occurred, I know with a certain with certainty that this mm-hmm. is a man or this is a woman. Now, so obviously within that within that particular strategy, it's super troubling to find someone who in another respect appears to be a man, say mm-hmm. anatomically, but then upon a cellular investigation, you find that some portion of um, their cells have female sexual characteristics, mm-hmm. which can happen for a variety of reasons. And if you've already taken that, like this is this is how we differentiate men and women it becomes like very bizarre like is is this person like half female like half male right right and and you do get these odd um mm-hmm. similarities then between the conservatives and the queer theorists because what um what they'll end up saying is something like well um then this does give a kind of position for an intersex person once you have mm-hmm. once you have genes established as like the ultimate answer mm-hmm. then a mixed mixed genetic bag is just yeah. a mixed genetic bag that's all you can do with it so so it's disappointing in, in a sense because it's like the effort to create like a defense of um, sexual differentiation as being male and female ends up in a sort of um, materialism yeah, and that was that was another thing I was gonna point out why it, why it's dissatisfying is because like how how do you draw meaning value uh, relation just like spiritual truths from material? I mean that is the problem of materialism, and so if what the Catholic response is is saying like well we should probably just adopt this materialist attitude here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's not going to be helpful. Um, because no, and it hasn't been because it, it, yeah. it's like people that I've that have adopted queer identities have heard this argument and then presumed that okay, if gender is something that results from all these characteristics, and then I find a variation in my characteristics, there therefore I am this different gender, and mm-hmm. that makes sense to them, and that's a reason for adopting a different gender identity, changing your name, the whole the whole. Um, shebang yeah well what's interesting about uh queer theory at least like the popular level is that you you it's it's the same materialism but just taken from a different angle what do you mean um so 
instead of saying like, well, like what makes my my gender identity is like my sex chromosomes. Um, instead, it's a, like a psychological felt experience. Oh, sure, yeah. So another um, kind of like biological uh, experience. Like I, I, I feel like a woman. Um, yeah. I am like kind of scientifically like surveying <coughs> how how women act and function, and like I seem to belong to yeah. that category, and mm-hmm. so that's the way that I understand myself and categorize myself. So it's just oh, yeah. another form of materialism, just a different starting place. Yeah, yeah. Like the the, the common ground is that um, some data point is the proof of an identity Mm -hmm. and that which is interestingly something that only people who identify as queer but don't read the queer theorists think is a reasonable position to hold because yeah (laughs) would would just no (laughs) she'd destroy that yeah (laughs) but it is i think i think it's fair to say that it is the common i mean like there's a transgender argument right now that's been well dubious um looking at like brain chemistry and saying like, well, your gender identity is actually a material phenomenon. It's this part of that mushy cranium you've got. Mm -hmm. And if it's this shape, then you're a woman by like your identity is woman. If it's this shape, your identity is man. So they've got a biological argument for trans, uh, for the whole transgender model. But -hmm. it's really interesting because it's actually an extremely gendered model. It's just that the data that makes you one gender versus the other is different. So for the conservative, it's, you know, your, your genitals. And for the, for the transgender proponent in this sense, it's your brain shape. And it's like, okay, but we're saying a very similar thing. Mm -hmm. Some Mm -hmm. datum, which we have access to is the proof of our being this thing versus that. And then what, when, why this dissatisfies so much is that, well, I guess it just, well, I think I think both of those are I think it's dissatisfying because like both of those approaches are are compelling. Um sure. like we see that there's like But but it's not compelling why you picked one data point versus yeah. another. Yeah. It's like, okay, if if is it anatomy? Is anatomy okay, I mean, obviously that's important if someone looks completely like a woman as we know, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. but then we're saying genes are very important. Okay, so I test her genes. Oh, but she has some male genes in here. So is it more important? How much more important? Because as, as I can see it, you've got brain chemistry, anatomy, genetics, social relationships, names, you know, relationships of daughter, sonship, that sort of thing. Um, psychological identity, mm-hmm. like just what you think about yourself, that sort of thing. Um, acts of the will, like not even what you feel about yourself, but just your own self-declarations. I mean, you have a whole host of competing and often ex- mutually exclusive sets of data that are saying this this is how i know i'm this and it's like i think we just need to get away from that entirely yeah i mean i don't think the catholics are the ones that should stand up and say we've found the true datum and it's i don't know catholics would probably say like your soul or something yeah would they be right yeah they are but that's that's (laughs) deeply confusing yeah given given this I mean, it's it's deeply confusing in in a world that is very materialistic. Like that's yeah. that's the only truth that we can really, like, everyone can agree upon. And so it just seems like it's this uh, like intellectual like battle going on between like, well, which which uh, materialistic starting point yeah, are we totally. going to start from? Yeah, and and then it becomes political in this in this limited sense of like enmity em- based, like because once you're in the position where it's like. I have to pick a 
material starting point to prove that I'm a man or a woman or both or neither. If that's the starting point, then your motivation becomes as much like, well, I don't want to be what those guys are, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm not going to pick anatomy or I'm not going to pick psychology or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's actually the like ground level 90% situation we're in is just like uh, our identities are wrapped up in larger mutual hatred for others and that's more what's going on but i'd say before we go on i'd say this isn't this isn't obviously the only approach because there's another dissatisfying approach that i also didn't respond to in my dissertation but definitely has bugged me before and that got me into it which is um it's sort of a theological approach where and it usually comes from people who have an inkling of the inadequacy of this materialism that we're talking about. Okay. And they go on to say something like, well, in procreation, um, well, they do it in different ways, but basically it's that to be male or female is to in some way incarnate or instantiate a principle of femininity and a principle of masculinity. This is a basic Platonism, but it's like where it usually gets expressed, just to say it, is that um, men are in some manner incarnating or instantiating or reflecting the activity of the divine, whereas women are in some manner instantiating, reflecting, or otherwise becoming, being the passivity of the divine. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe usually they say divine, but it could be something more like principles, you know. Okay. And what were you finding dissatisfying about that? Well, what it always comes down to, if you've ever been down this road, like a late night conversation about what it means to be a man or a woman, which by the way, men don't really ever do. Women do this all the time. I think that's part of part of why I think sexual difference is real is because that <laughs> only women ask themselves uh I mean that's why I mean that's why I was interested in this topic because I yeah I I had I had questions about like what what is femininity yeah and yeah I was frustrated with with many of the responses I could just I just kept finding more gray areas mm-hmm. like okay you're telling me that like to be a woman means to be this or to do this yeah but you're also telling me that a man can accomplish this same things generally speaking well yeah and that's what i was going to say with the problem with this um sort of platonic vision is that it always comes down to pointing out that man can obviously be passive in certain ways Mm -hmm. and that woman can obviously be active in certain ways yeah and often this gets whittled down to like okay well we have to find some place in which it is absolutely certain that particular women are only passive and men are only active and this always gets lumped into procreation which has yeah uh well a lot of problems because number one there's a lot of parts of our contribution within procreation where you could describe females as being active and men as being passive and vice Mm -hmm. versa it just never fully satisfies because it's always like a talking about a tendency that that you could even agree with you say yeah okay so generally i see how actual men seem to be more active both in their Mm -hmm. role in procreation in their general activity within society blah 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 but we're doing philosophy here like we're not just supposed to be describing like a tendency that you usually see it's like 
if you if there's exceptions, then you don't have a rule. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you have to account for the exceptions. Like you have to like um like one thing that I I would hear is like well, like women have like a unique capacity to nurture, and sure. I think that is true. Sure. Um, and I think in general there is a tendency among women to be really talented in this regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that men can't do that. And so then then you get yeah. to like. Well, well, okay. So if if both men and women can be nurturing, or maybe they they both do the thing, but they do it differently, how exactly? Yeah, it's like it's like at no point, and it's also just left blank. Usually left blank. Like what metaphysical claim is being made here? Like, are you saying that if I if I become incredibly good at nurturing? then I become a woman? Like, are you saying it's supervenient? Like in the sense of, uh, if I do this, then I will be that. Yeah. And um, then I think it's like further complicated because it's not just like one quality. It's like a, like a pool of like yeah. characteristics mm-hmm. or virtues that, uh, men or women have like a, a tendency to like have great gifts in. Um, but then like maybe, uh, like this, this person's this like individual person's pool, like has leans on some more like masculine characteristics, mm-hmm. or vice versa. Yeah. Um. So like, how ha- ha- how do you make sense of those? So I, I suppose, like, I guess you're telling me that this characteristic really isn't as essential as what you were saying. So then, so then, what is like? Do we just come yeah. up with a a list of characteristics, and if you're missing one, then you're out? Totally. And, and it should be said, like for early you know, what you would call like sexology studies, um, especially in Germany prior to well, Weimar Republic, and the, this was sort of the anthropology or, or like the theory they were working with. They might not have said passivity and activity, but it was all this stuff of like. How do we explain the existence of homosexuals? Well, the way we're going to do it is by saying that man is like, that the male is like this principle, mm-hmm. uh, is like an incarnation of this principle. And if he deviates from participation within that principle, like he becomes more passive, he becomes more like a woman. And so then you end up with these theories of the homosexual as being a third sex. Where the reason they think it's a third sex is because they think that sex itself is established by participation in principles. And since there's obviously like gradation yeah. and, and a capacity to participate more, or to participate less, yeah. well, then mm-hmm. at some point you've participated so little in what has been described as your principle that you are now a third sex. I mean, uh-huh. this is just historically what what we've already gone through. Yeah. And so when people bring it up, it's very much like, now this isn't to discuss the, um, it's, Balthazar's um, kind of the most famous guy for talking about them as principles within the Trinity and yeah. then mm-hmm. ultimately within um, uh, the relation of the church. So it's not to say that there's not something here and I hope we can get to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that when it comes to a discussion of like first starting places, it's just extremely unhelpful. And I've never met any person who identifies as queer or transgender who's convinced somehow in into the idea of a um, twofold sexual difference from the fact of like participation in principles of femininity or masculinity in fact it suggests that that you could be other things than male and female i think on the face of it yeah yeah i think so um so to kind of back up a bit um the 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 problem of uh 
men and women and these characteristics that belong to them, but then also can overlap. And yet also um, this idea of like participating in a, in a principle or, like, or revealing something like you mentioned von Balthasar and the, the Trinity. I think that's what's talked about the most with theology of the body, which is, mm-hmm. I think like, that's what, what, what Catholics are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I think it's compelling and I, I think that there's, there's truth, but that's like where my, like questions left off like a couple of years ago. Sure. It's like, okay, I see that um, this is compelling. Like I see that there's a, a truth to the biological approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see there's something compelling about the psychological approach because like in, in general, generally speaking, um, like w- women who have this biology also have the felt psychological experience of being a woman. Um, so there's something compelling about that too. And then there's something compelling about like tendencies and the the trinitarian model like we're revealing something about god maybe yeah. um his passivity or his activity um well the passivity and like part's a, weird because there is no passivity in god yeah. so I, this is well well <laughs> it's always like the relationship of the son with, to the father but in the church be, yeah really yeah um but and no, i agree there's like a definite sense in which each one has a certain conviction to it because it's real our bodies are real god's real Mm -hmm. church is real the um and and no matter what we're still confronted with this phenomenon of sexual difference of maybe i should say like what disappoints me about the other side is that fair i mean because i feel like we've been bashing on our on on the conservatives and such yeah 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 you should bash on the liberals let's switch it all right switch up (laughs) (laughs) well like do you have have you ever been at all convinced by some of the claims of queer theory or like has it ever struck you as plausible? Um like are you are you talking about like queer theorists like Judith Butler or more on like the popular More in the level? same way that we were talking yeah, popular like the way that, the way that we were talking about the conservatives cuz I don't think it's fair to compare the like if you have a penis, you're a man to like gender trouble as like. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't, I, I've never found it uh, really compelling because it ran into the same problems that I was seeing on the conservative side. Yeah. Like, okay, like what does it mean for me to be feminine? What does it mean for me to be a woman? Okay, I have these like natural like tendencies or gifts and capacities, but I was like, dissatisfied because well like men can do the same thing and then in the case of something like transgenderism you have people who are convinced that they're a woman because like essentially because they're they're participating in female stereotypes like i like cooking i like baking i like pink or like dressing up or Mm -hmm. or whatever and it's like these are all the things that like the feminist movement has rebelled against Mm -hmm. like i I am still a woman, even though like I don't particularly like baking, or maybe I don't particularly like pink, right? I don't identify with this this stereotype of femininity, and yeah. then to choose your identity based off of a, a stereotype that we've already rejected as being like essentially feminine. Uh, I just found it as being like inconsistent. I didn't see how feminism and transgenderism worked at all. And in fact, like oh, it's they, seemed... <laughs> and they, as, they both they get very angry you. with each other. Yeah, it's a it's been an upset playground these days. I mean, uh, but what you say is really fascinating because it's like, I think for Catholics, sometimes we can lump 
the whole thing into like an LGBT, like, you know, sometimes we call it like gender ideology Mm -hmm. and maybe that has its uses, but mostly it just seems to make the thing seem way more unified than it is. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like there's like transgenderism. I hesitate to say proper because it's like, well, who's who's defining it? But like mm-hmm. transgenderism is obviously a uh, way more <laughs> – in some ways transgenderism is really interesting because it takes the conservative idea – I shouldn't call it the conservative idea, just the materialist idea mm-hmm. and says yeah. there are these things that make me a, a man or a woman. Like man is a result. Becoming a woman is a result. It's something that – the human goes through these things and comes out as a woman, comes out as a man, ontologically speaking. Yeah. And then says, okay, well then, sure. So I'm going to do that. I mean, you think about like the, the, the similarity between saying, uh, if you have a penis, then you're a man, to the person that says, I'm going to surgically construct a penis and become a man. Which was, again, it's yeah. not a typical discourse anymore because that's like older transsexualism mm-hmm. surgery base that we're now yeah. just able to identify psychologically. Mm-hmm. What, But what I, my point is that the cue was taken from the materialist kind of conservative claim. Yeah, it's, it's a weird... And it's just a response to that. It's well, saying it's like, like sure, a... okay, so now I'm a man because I have the anatomy that you said was the defining feature, right? Yeah, it's like it's an affirmation of, of Weirdly, what yeah. was already being said like oh oh you said that this is what it means to be a man mm-hmm. well I'll, I'll go get that thing yeah and similarly it's like similar similarly <laughs> one day i'll learn to say that word uh it, it's like if gender is a social construct which we'll talk about more with judith butler mm-hmm. then if i the transgender side of things as opposed to the kind of queer side of things is to say well i'll just do the things that the social constructs requires and then i will be a woman Mm-hmm. Yeah, which so is at that the, point you're just talking about stereotypes. Yeah, I mean you might have a kind of um, nuanced list of stereotypes. Like mm-hmm. I think for some people it's obviously more like, you know, so, some people it's just like, man, really? Like I've always, I don't know, like I've never been that comfortable around male company. And like uh, the kind of history of it is very much like, wow, if you think that that's what it means to be a woman, like woman just doesn't mean very much and that's a little sad but i think there's like a nuanced and more um compelling sort of lists of not just like yeah that's true you know a habit of dress or something like that but like mannerisms um tendencies uh sort of um social comfort when it comes to like roles um you know, sexual desire, obviously, mm-hmm. is huge. Um, relationships with parents, like, you know, the, the notions of daughterhood, sonship, those things. Like, those can all come into play. Yeah. But what needs to be pointed out, I think, again, is that it's the, the, the materialism still at work. Because what it's saying is like, okay, well, if what you're saying is it's just these things that make the gender, then I'm just going to have those things and then I will become the gender. Mm-hmm. And what I think characterizes transgenderism to the point that if it's to have any meaning as opposed to like queer theory has got to be the belief that you really can be, well, we'll talk more about this later, but that you really can become a man or you really can become a woman mm-hmm. um, in some fashion. Whereas with the queer theorists, it's just like, well, look, you can sort of appear in some manner and have some people kind of respond to you as a woman or as not a woman or as a man or as something other than man and woman. But 
this is all just games and appearance like at the end of the day we're just yeah wearing dresses and dancing around in the abyss (laughs) yeah i think i think it's uh like you you have to choose between a more essentialist approach or a social construct approach and what's weird about uh the essentialist approach is like for for the transgender person like there really is meaning and content to saying i am a a man or i am a woman Mm -hmm. and then like surgery is just an outward reflection of that interior reality that's supposedly not materialistic that supposedly transcends the materialism Mm -hmm. which is why they can have the cliche or the trope that like i am in the wrong body like there's actually a metaphysical sort of um system such that your body could be wrong mm-hmm. or right uh, which implies a kind of match to your s- spiritual being or your substantial being or however you want to put it as opposed to the queer theorists who can mm-hmm. never say you have a right body or a wrong body because all you have is just social construct arbitrary like yeah. flesh that's interpreted as it will be by which power. i find much more compelling and oh, that's yeah. why i had so much fun reading judith butler I'm like you you make much more sense. Like, like you, way more you, consistent. Yeah, way more consistent. Yeah. So, I will say just to 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 sort of move on. Like the the thing that has always, even as I like, really enjoy queer theory's critique because what's it, what it does is it just says, it's really just not a materialist position, but mm-hmm. because it s- denies any kind of i mean it's it's nihilistically immaterialist in the sense that it's yeah. not saying anything about your soul spirit mm, substance no. creation god it's sort of prescinding from any question like that and just saying matter is what we make of it mm-hmm. and so anytime that you think that you are becoming this thing you have to realize you're only becoming you know, this thing insofar as other people agree to kind of recognize you as being this thing, but it's all in the end doesn't have any bearing on some larger truth. It's just like a social agreement, you know. Um, but what I don't like about it and what's always shied me from, you know, having a more a more totally positive view of queer theory is that um, they're really annoying, like the queer theorists, in that they think that they're like the most rebellious people alive. And this is like a teenage complaint against them. Like I'm, <laughs> I, I am aware of this. This is like the um, crisis of punk rock, right? You're always looking for the pure rebel. Um, oh, yeah. But there's something really just hellacious about the claim to like having this position of troubling the, you know, stodgy male female binary of being like on the cutting edge, the avant garde, moving into like. Oh, you poor, deluded, you know, Christian people, you haven't really, you know, um, shaken off the the boring bougie bonds of uh, gender. It's like, at first you can kind of get into that. It's obviously what's motivating their books. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, they want to look cool. Gender trouble. Yeah. (laughs) It certainly motivates postmoderns to look cool. I mean, like, this much from Derrida, anyone, any postmodern you read, it's like, okay, at least a good 50% of why you're writing is to look cool which is just not the case with, <laughs> with everyone. Um, but they're not. They're not cool at all. They're like the most corporate capitalist losers in the planet in some ways because they they take... Um, or at least the way that it's developed, the way that it's gone. Yeah. No, I sh- I'm not talking about any particular person, just the theory. It's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they, they are describing 
increasingly this um, individual that sex and sexual differentiation are just this arbitrary thing that you can buy. Mm -hmm. And then this is like complete conformity, I think, with the world in the sense that, you know, okay, so you've reduced gender to this social construct that can be achieved by certain activities or dresses or habits of the person. Okay, so now gender is something that's attainable through a sort of coalition with power in the world, namely who's going to sell you the makeup, who's going to sell you the surgery, who's going to sell you the clothes, who's going to teach you the language, you know, which universities are going to give you the ability to even speak within queer, theolo queer theology. <laughs> that's a Freudian slip. <laughs> queer theories... Um, Language, I mean, it is literally something that can only be properly done and afforded by a higher class. Like you have to have yeah. Oh, that was that it. was also something that, that struck me as being very it. weird. Um, because I I don't remember when I made this realization, but I was like, wait a second. So like, let's say like I I felt like a man trapped in a female body. Then it means like if I'm a a poor person, I can never realize my identity. Like I, totally. I could not, I can't afford that kind of surgery. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just, I just find it strange that we're in a situation where like I can only become myself through money, totally. through power. I mean, it make, makes sense that uh, like queer theory is moving in that direction and trying to change the structures of power in order to make that um, possible. Right. But I just find it strange that you can find yourself in that situation to begin with. Yeah. I think that's a really sharp intuition because it's like if if the great revelation means that I now need to make more purchases on Amazon in order to um, successfully trouble gender or successfully claim my gender or successfully fulfill my identity, yeah, it's just like, well, that's awful convenient. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and what I have always enjoyed about the Christian rejoinder, and not even like the argument, just the kind of claim, is that it is one that sees gender as not proceeding from the hand of man, um, sexual difference not proceeding from the hand of man, and so not needing to be um, built or established or otherwise bought and sold. Yeah, and, or, or really just identity in, in general. Uh, identity doesn't hinge upon power yeah. or money. Like I can, I can be fully myself. I can be fully my identity. Um, and in fact, like in come, come into like an, an extraordinary, um, like revelation of myself mm -hmm. that is not dependent on any of these factors. Yeah, you don't have to watch a movie. Nope. <laughs> you don't have to go to college. You don't have to go undergo surgery. No. And of course, you know, we're going to be throughout this podcast speaking very candidly about this. And I understand. I mean, sometimes I think people feel like there's a certain callousness to this discussion because it's like, well, look, obviously there's people for whom this isn't just like a airy philosophical issue. Yeah. This is like an immediate existential issue. And I think often this is used to shut up any conversation about it. So I found like if you have a critique of transgenderism, what's often waved in your face is like, you know, transgender people are more vulnerable to violence and to suicide. And so if you even, even the thought of like, I think this is wrong. Mm -hmm. and I think that you guys are 
um, you have a bad metaphysical system becomes not an opportunity for conversation or anything like that, just like a violence, a direct violence. Yeah, and, and like I have to believe that, that like people in this experience like are also dissatisfied. Yeah. Like they've got to be because asking I'm the same. Yeah. Not having it, so <laughs> I could only presume. Like I'm sure we're all asking the same question. Yeah. Um, and so I'm sure it's also really yeah really dissatisfying experience of trying to like figure out your identity and then also come into the same experience of like I, I, I still feel gray. Like I still yeah. I still don't know where I stand. Yeah, totally. And which is why, like, the, you know, it's already starting where, where what used to be a sort of silence from the conservative side, where we would just deny that, in fact, there are many people that feel like the opposite gender, that there, in mm -hmm. fact, are people who cannot psychologically identify with either gender, that there are people who are convicted, not just superficially or because they have some base motive, but they obviously are. So so we've had that denial, I think, on the right, you could say, for a while. Yeah. But now we're also getting the denial on the left, right? Which is like, mm -hmm. no, transgender people never change their mind. No, there's no problems with age as you become 60, 70, and you can yeah. no longer maintain the, the the bodily appearance that you need to to fit within your identity. That's just, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's all it's all society. It's all like if we could just all accept everyone at every point, then there would be no conflict um, between any experience that uh, transgender people have, and they would be firm and fixed and affirmed in their uh, identity, and nothing would nothing would go wrong. And it's like, okay, now we're just lying the other way. It's like, no, yeah. there's like deep pain, lots of reversals, lots of, you know, um, strong senses that I identify here that are followed by strong senses that that was wrong. <laughs> like, And we're, yeah. we're now in a position sort of socially that we have to deny that in order to keep our um, – our kind of everything's fine face. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I think everyone is looking for stable ground for their identity. Yes. At least, like, certainly certainly on, like, the, the popular level, like, LGBTQ circles, um, like, the, the queer theorists have just moved move past that. Um, but but both, like, on the right and left is, like, I, I want to, I want to be certain about my identity. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's why I was interested in your dissertation is because this is where we actually can meet. Like, this is our common ground. We both realize that, um, yeah, the world is a lot more gray. Things aren't so simple. We can't, like, we're, we're both left with an impossibility of grounding identity in material reality. On yes, both sides. Both, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's so true. And it's really, it's why I've never really got the enmity-based part of this stuff it's like yeah um if there is enmity it should be that we have been cut off from really thinking deeply about this and figuring out a theologically and metaphysically satisfying solution as opposed to like um you know if you think about it you're the enemy it becomes more i don't know it seems like we're in the position now where like on both sides identity is more based on just not being the other mm -hmm. person which is exactly what um butler describes uh is the source of identity yeah. and she just thinks that it's metaphysically true that uh, like identity comes through like negating some other who you're not it's like who i am is not that yeah exactly and and i think that's metaphysical nonsense um but i think it's social 
that's just a social commentary that's trying to be way more metaphysical than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Like, in fact, people right now that are like, like, I'm a man. I know it means to be a man. And thank goodness I'm not like these SW. What do they call S? J. I've never said this out loud. SJW. SJW. Yeah. I'm, tra I'm trying to do like a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this at least convinces I don't usually do this bit. Like those SJWs that, you know, think that they're, you know, gender number 43 that Facebook offers them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, it's like, um, at least I'm not like the oppressor, the yeah. fascists, yeah. for whom their very existence as male or female is a violence against anything that would be otherwise. It's yeah. like that actually seems to be the real fuel for identity these days because we've given up on the truth. And so when you don't have the truth, you just figure out an enemy. Um, and that gives you the semblance of firmness and because the enemy is real. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's something you can sink your claws into. I can't sink it into metaphysics. I can't sink it into the real. But I sure as heck can sink it into that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but on, on the other hand, as we're watching history play out and Which we're we finding – Okay, both both of these uh, approaches are are running into to problems. Like it, I think this historical phenomenon, this moment that we're in, is also opening up the door to like real conversation and being able to find the common ground. Um, I think this is probably where I can bring my book. Uh, so there were, there's a um, a quote from Cardinal Ratzinger in Introduction to Christianity that made me think of of this discussion and of um the thesis in general and so um basically what what he is uh describing the opening to this book is like the, the common ground that we can come to as believers and non-believers and so uh he writes um just as we have already recognized that the believer does not live immune to doubt but is always threatened by the plunge into the void so now we can discern the entangled nature of human destinies and say that the non-believer does not leave, lead a sealed off self-sufficient life either. However vigorously he may assert that he is a pure positivist, or we can insert materialism here, mm -hmm. uh, who has long left behind him the supernatural temptations and weaknesses and now accepts only what is immediately certain. He will never be free of the secret uncertainty about whether positivism or materialism really has the last word. In short, there is no escape from the dilemma of being man. Like in, in short, like there's really no escape from the same question that we're all, all facing. And so um, I think what's, what's exciting with um, uh, kind of like the Christian engagement with postmodern thought and the Christian engagement with uh, queer theory is because we've come full circle again. Like as we move past materialism, as we move past positivism and, and this uh, like extreme rationalism, mm -hmm. uh, we realize that actually everything we are doing, even our, our rationalism and our positivism, um, we we still are basing all of that on like a, a belief mm -hmm. about reality. Like you cannot... Uh, you can't you can't avoid like the leap into the abyss. Like mm -hmm. you you just can't. Yeah. Right, um, you right. have to like choose your grounding. All right, I'm gonna leap and say identity is my psychological self ex uh, felt experience, or I'm gonna leap and say that it's going to be like biology, or or you you leap and say it's the revelation of God. Right. Right. No, no. I think that's that's entirely it. I mean, you know, there's a way you could talk about this. That would be kind of familiar with 
for Catholics that, you know, all of our reasoning in the end is based on first principles that we receive, um, as a primary experience of reality. Um, we don't reason all the way down. We don't say, yeah. And furthermore, I can figure out why it is that the thing cannot both be and be at the same time and in the same respect. It's mm-hmm. like, no, 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 that's not something you figure out. It's something like it hits you on the head and it's given and in a similar sense to this, which is just like the foundation or the foundation of all reason on upon first principles. Um, there are, I mean, the human person does not have faith as some kind of thing that happens after he develops his reason. He might have faith here. He might have faith there. He might believe there, or he might, he might not, he might not. I mean, the human person must believe. Yeah. Like his existence is premised on belief. Like otherwise you yeah. literally cannot function. Like you, you just, because I if, mean, you just have to assume things are true about your reality. Yeah. Even if it's as simple as like, I believe that my sense experience is accurate. Right. Telling me true things about the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, you know, the reason we bring this up is that obviously within gender, what we're seeing is just a, um, all sides trying to deny that they have a belief. So, you know, all sides are trying to be scientific. Mm-hmm. All sides are trying to yeah. say, yeah. I have exactly. this insight, this thing from which I can deduce that I am in fact this being. So that voila, gender has been reasoned to by the human person. As far as I can tell, the only people that are saying that it's uh, otherwise are, are people that are saying, I believe first. And I can defend this belief. So it's not like detached mm-hmm. from reason. It's not arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. But are saying what comes first is the belief that male and female, he created them. Mm-hmm. Or, or that that is a t- true description of the human person. Or that that's not a true description. And then you have, uh, which we'll discuss, I kind of, um, there's a number of options in how that can look. But your belief is basically a negative belief that... Mm-hmm. Um, Man is not created male and female; he's created androgynous. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think both are situations of faith seeking understanding. Yes. Well, I think that um, all of that might seem. <clears throat> I hope it's helpful, and all of it might seem a little bit like we don't have answers per se. I'm not a fool in this regard. I realize when people come to a gender podcast or like share a gender podcast, mm-hmm. it's not usually to be like, I'm interested in sort of reflecting on this phenomenon. Like they come with existential concerns yeah. and they want answers. And so I don't want people to feel like we are going to sort of airily um, discuss possibilities here. I think there's some real things to get at, which is, you know, why I wrote the dissertation is I think that real progress can be made once we ditch our materialism and start asking, okay, what is sexual difference? Yeah. Um, What does it do? What is it for? And Um, I think just being honest about the human experience, which is like, we can't avoid belief. mm -hmm. Um, So I guess kind of uh, like maybe, maybe a teaser. This is, this is a way that I have kind of conceived of the point that you made in the dissertation. This is how I try to explain sure. it to other people. Um, it's kind of like, it, in in a way, 
I think Catholic theology or your dissertation can play the role of um, Aquinas's proofs for God's existence. Like anyone who has read Aquinas's proofs, you know it doesn't mean like, well, I, I have proven 100% that God exists and now you know. Um, but we can start from our experience of reality, which you just, you have to make a leap of faith. Again, that like what my senses are telling me is true, that I'm actually encountering things as they really are. Uh, and you're also making an assumption that uh, my experience of reality can lead me to higher truths. Mm -hmm. So you do start with a assumption, with an, mm -hmm. a belief. Um, and the the proofs that Thomas offers can can point you towards the existence of God in the same way that I think that biology points us towards the existence of gender and gender identity. But it's really limited in how far you can go. Like you can get to... Like for you can you can know that God exists, you can know certain attributes about him. Um, but then there's I mean, there's an, an, an infinite amount of him that needs to be revealed. Mm -hmm. uh, and this this is a role of revelation. So I, I think in many ways, this can be the the Catholic uh, approach. Like, okay, we have to, like everyone else in the human experience, we have to start premised on an assumption about reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in order to receive its full meaning, like, where is this actually going? Where is this heading? Yeah. We need revelation. Yeah, totally. And I think you can better understand history, like the history of the gender question, if you understand the Christian revelation as being real. Like, mm -hmm. like what I mean is when in the scriptures and in the revelation of Christ and his church, it is said that in the beginning, male and female, he created them. That when we say this is a part of revelation, we don't mean like it happens to be in the Bible, but could mm -hmm. be equally and with the same sort of content said by a rationalist just thinking about the world. But that, in fact, revelation does reveal. Mm -hmm. Something has been said here that isn't... There's something new. It, it's both new, but also just not like a necessary conclusion that could have been arrived at by science or something. It's mm -hmm. like oh, this is actually a description of creation. And that's not something yeah. like how God created and what he created is not um, an aspect of um, natural reason. And it, we'll get into this more, like, mm -hmm. because part of the... Sometimes people don't realize that that part of the Bible is actually being very particular about the manner in which God created um, yeah. the man and woman. So we'll talk about that. But... All, all I want to say for now is that you, you, the history of our confusion regarding gender is much more obvious and uh, illuminated by thinking of it as a history of just falling away from a belief in the doctrine and then looking for another belief and gradually expressing it as another belief. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a – when Christianity changed the world by converting you know, so much of our culture and, and converting the way in which we think – it brought this doctrine with it um, to the point that we really do see the world naturally as just composed of male and females. Like this mm -hmm. isn't something yeah. that is, um, could have been done. I mean, maybe it could have been done otherwise. I don't want to put myself in like a philosophical corner, but like it was a, a real historical achievement of Christianity yeah. that we simply mm -hmm. look around and see men and women. Because if you go back to, you know, the pagan myths of sexual difference. Um, if you go to the Gnostic opposition to Christianity, they're looking at the same bodies, presumably yeah. as Christians, and they're coming up with the idea that uh, 
we were not created fundamentally male and female, that rather this was a result of a fall of an mm -hmm. extrinsic addition or subtraction to the human person who's properly speaking androgynous. Yeah, um, and then you have this androgynous male and then like accident female, but yeah. I suppose she's necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, so all, all of this is to say that, yeah, I think you're right. Like an underlying part of my work of my dissertation is to say that revelation really does reveal. Mm -hmm. It really did reveal male and female, and that if we think that we can have that revelation apart from the church, apart from Christianity, we're fooling ourselves. We're not going to. We are going to have other beliefs, namely that the human person is fundamentally androgynous, and that this will be a historical phenomenon. It will just become gradually more and more convincing to people, and, and more, well, more and more confusing to people to hear the doctrine said, and yeah. more and more sensible to people to say, like, oh, yeah, of course, we're all just human beings. Oh, yeah, of course, you know, sexual difference is like a secondary characteristic of that human being that's extrinsic and comes yeah. through material difference. Oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. And even you have Catholics who think that too. I mean, they're Thomists, bless them. Um, but <laughs> they'll say similar things like it's a, you know, it's a material. Like human nature is this like essence that is androgynous and then the material matter, the... matter that's provided by the mother and father is, that's what, did, that that is what gender is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I don't think they, I mean, they're not being true Thomists, to be honest, but... Yeah, I, I remember... They're being just kind of wrote Aristotelians, I think, which is, well, again, we're, we're getting into too many topics. We're supposed to yeah. be ending right now, so let's... Well, well I guess to, to wrap up, yeah. um, I, can, I can tie that into like why, why we're talking about this on this podcast and for New Polity mm. in general. Yeah, why are we doing this? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, we're... We're here to help you. We know you're confused about your body. You wake up feeling gross. Uh, <laughs> New is here. To, no, sorry, please. Um, so, so we're a political theology think tank. So, I think the question is, what does gender have to do with politics? Oh, yeah. Um, Some ways we've answered that, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But just to <coughs> to make it a little bit more obvious, it's the same. It's the same critique that I think New Polity has uh, with liberalism in general, um, and it's this understanding that. Our anthropology, the way we understand the human person, um, that is the building blocks for politics, mm -hmm. for all of our structures. And I, th that can either be aligned to the truth and to the, um, yeah, the, the reality of the human person or, or not. So yeah. when we uh, look at liberalism and uh, we see that that's premised on this idea of the human person as being fundamentally individual, having no prior relationships, um, a real undermining of our social reality. We start to build reality based off of that building block. And then, mm -hmm. then we run into problems. And I think that gender is the same way. It just, it just plays into this. So if you assume that uh, what it means to be human is to have like the fundamentally other as a part of your construction versus the fundamentally androgynous, it's just going to change things massively. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think that you can see this you know, what is a social order? A social order is, you know, Christ talks about the, um, well, I guess it's God talks about the uh, Israelite people as, man, I'm going to murder this verse. But he talks about <laughs> someone, the church, as being built up of living stones. Yeah, we're Catholics. We don't memorize scripture. No, we just, it all just blurs <laughs> into our head because we're so holy that it just becomes our lived experience. And so we can't cite it. It's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, what? 
what the unit of society is changes obviously the society like mm -hmm. if it's if it's a fair analogy to say that the human society is like a body like a social living architecture then um what we're building out of what the body is constituted out of matters and i think you can already begin to see this fundamental difference like if sexual difference is real <clears throat> and the person is either male or female then the fundamental unit that is the human person um, of the social order is so a being that is only known through a further investigation. Like it just rules out social orders that arrange um, people as if they're entirely exchangeable in the yeah. most fundamental way possible. The person is not exchangeable because you do not yet know if he is either this or that. Mm -hmm. Whereas within an androgynous anthropology, um, while of course you can have all sorts of extrinsic differences, when it fundamentally comes down to you're dealing with identities, a human, a human, a human, a human, a human. Yeah. And so exchangeability becomes a mark of, of um, the fundamental building block in society. Um, whereas non-exchangeability becomes the mark of a society of sexual difference. And I think that, you know, I talked about why I think that in some ways queer theory is problematic because it's so conformist to sort of power structures and it mm -hmm. doesn't even realize it, which seems to be oh, exactly yeah. how conformity works is by never realizing. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But I think even just that really broad view can show maybe where some of that frustration is coming from on my part, that it's like, if you are asserting an anthropology of exchangeability, then it seems to me that you're fundamentally um, on the side of submission. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're if you're exerting a anthropology of non-exchangeability at its most fundamental level, like where there's the human person, there is the question of whether you're a man or a woman, mm -hmm. um, then you're asserting something very different where rule has to be asking questions. Rule has to be dealing with the real and the particular. It can't be um, just ordering humans as if they're each one is like the other. Yeah. Fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You kind of see if you uh, you can always go back and watch the Tyranny podcast which has all sorts of stuff about exchangeability of persons and such. So yeah. maybe to end, we should, um, just to give people some kind of insight into where we're going, we could just list some things I think about gender. Well, it's a good thing I have a list of things that Mark <laughs> thinks about gender. You were really kind to read the dissertation. I mean, it's, it's You're welcome. a lot. I'm not convinced that my, um, my, uh, no, no, I shouldn't say that. Never mind. <laughs> Not convinced uh, everyone's read my dissertation. I'll put it that way. Um, okay, so these are five points okay. that I believe Mark is making from his dissertation. Oh, this is interesting. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So, um, yeah, we're not going to explain any of these. We're just going to say them. These, these, these are, are teasers. All, these are all teasers. This is teasers. the trailer. Between each one, you're going to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> number one. <laughs> I'm not actually. Yeah. Go okay. Ahead. Good. Uh, gender is for the sake of the intellectual operation, which is for the sake of the worship of God. I do think that. Uh, two, gender in fallen humanity is a natural check on idolatry and tyranny. So that's our connection with uh, politics. Three, the Bible is a story of changing gender for androgyny, or at least one. One angle of reading it, I think, uh, a true angle. And then when we 
When we look at it in that way, that brings us to four. This starts to make sense of the symbolism of the eunuch throughout the biblical narrative and then also celibacy and its meaning in the New Testament. And then that leads us to the last point, which is that gender already overcomes what queer theory is trying to overthrow, which is tyranny. That's right. Well, yeah. you wrote it, so. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's wrong. Yeah, and I think that last point is um, kind of important to just reveal our cards, like where our sympathy lies. Like my sympathy at the end of the day, all things being equal, is with people that want to overthrow tyrants, right? Because mm-hmm. people that are on the side of the oppressed, on the side of the victim, and of course the whole contentiousness is that we don't believe the other person when they say they're on the side of the victim, on the side of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons I think I'm so very sympathetic with queer theory and why I enjoy reading their books as opposed to like a, I don't know, like a Ben Shapiro style argument for, you know, against transgenderism is that while I think they're doing a lot wrong, I think there is at least an initial impulse that is trying to get over what they're properly seeing as a tyrannical ideal of gender. They just don't realize how they're actually more fully perfecting it. So in some ways, I hope this podcast (laughs) for some people can just help them to stop that. Um, It's like, don't, don't play the game of uh, the tyrants who um, do desire total conformity, but in realizing the mystery of sexual difference, help resist against that um, increasingly obvious uh, destruction of um, difference for the sake of private gain, which is kind of the flavor of our world today. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. Okay. Thank you so much. We hope that you will return for our podcast, The Politics of Gender. Oh, is that our title? Do we have one now? There it is. <laughs>